Thanks for listening to AI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look into the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here, as always, with Jeff Simmons. Hey, Jeff, what's what's going on today? Celeste, you are the highlight of my day. I'm glad that we're doing the show today. We've got a very important topic. I'm so glad to be able to be on with you today. Great to have you here, too, of course. So lots going on this week, as always. Uh, as you've probably heard, the House is looking into uh, continuing to look into the January 6th riot at the Capitol. The committee in charge of investigating that has issued subpoenas to organizers who ran rallies that preceded the insurrection, as well as some allies of former President Donald Trump. Uh, federal authorities still investigating that horrible Amtrak derailment in Montana. And of course, for those hooked on this story, and I know that there are many Many people who are. Britney Spears has taken one more legal step towards no longer living under the conservatorship of her father. But what have you been watching, Jeff? Well, not really the Britney Spears saga, although I did watch a little of the New York Times uh, documentary on that on Hulu, which is worth watching. But no, I've, I've been following what was go- what's going on in Washington, D.C. regarding the potential government shutdown, which seems to be uh, averted right now, at least for a few more months, given that Congress gave approval to a spending bill uh, that would at least extend federal funding for a few more months and provide emergency aid. So that was something I was wa- waiting to see what would happen over the next 24 hours. Yeah, that's certainly been, I've seen a lot of headlines about that very big news. And, you know, I feel like this just happens over and over again. We always get to this sort of, you know, this, this breaking point and then things sort of magically work out. There's a lot packed into that bill, certainly. So, uh, definitely something to be watching. So lots and lots going on in the news today, but we're going to be focusing here in this hour on driving forces on something that's affecting a million or more kids and their families and people, uh, all around the city that, of course, is continuing to watch the COVID-19 pandemic. By now, we've seen more than one million cases of COVID and more than 34,000 deaths. Uh, according to the latest data as compiled from official sources, more than 5.8 million people are now vaccinated, Jeff. No, I know. And as we've been discussing here on Driving Forces in the past, over the last year and a half, I mean, there's been so much we've talked about regarding this pandemic. And for a while there, it seemed like things were getting better. But a lot of the debate right now is over these vaccinations. I mean, coronavirus has had such a significant impact on how kids in our schools are learning, how families are supporting them, how teachers are instructing them. The system's more than a million students have been back in school since September 13th. Think about it. It's only a few weeks now. And we wanted to pause and see how things are going a couple of weeks in. I mean, some people have been advocating really strongly for a remote option for students. The city has also been embroiled in an intense discussion that includes schools, but also goes well beyond them. This is also an issue on the state level regarding health care. If you've been following what's been going on with our new governor, Kathy Hochul. So the big debate is over which public employees can be ordered, mandated to receive the COVID-19 vaccine, Celeste. 
Exactly. And we know that you out there listening have a lot of thoughts about the pandemic, about the schools, and of course, about the vaccine. We are going to invite you to call in a little bit later in the program to share your thoughts and your experiences, including on today's breaking news that New York City teachers are taking their case to the Supreme Court. That case involves four people who are asking the high court for an injunction to stop the city and the education department from instating a vaccine requirement. To talk about all this, to talk about what's going on in our schools right now. We are very glad to be joined by a special guest. That's Alex Zimmerman. He's a reporter for the education news website Chalkbeat New York, where he covers inequity in the nation's largest school system. And before that, Alex was a staff writer at the Pittsburgh City Paper and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. His work has appeared in The Atlantic, The Village Voice, Vice, and Atlas Obscura. So Alex, welcome to WBAI. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to jump right in because this is very interesting to me. You wrote a piece recently and you've been covering uh, COVID and its effect on schools. You wrote a piece recently about the school system's situation room. What is the situation room and what did you find out in the course of that reporting? Yeah, so the situation room is basically the nerve center um, that's sort of an interdepartmental organization that takes um, com- that takes. Uh, information from schools whenever a positive coronavirus case pops up. So they're the entity that communicates with schools and makes decisions about when a classroom should quarantine um, or if if any action needs to be taken as a result of a positive case coming up in a school. Um, And I was really interested in looking into the Situation Room because its hours were shortened this year by about four hours. So it closes at 3.30 p.m. instead of 7.30 p.m., which is how late it was open for most of the time last year. Um, And the reason that's important is because if a school reports a case after 3.30 p.m., um, it's less likely that the Situation Room will be able to respond to it in the same day, which means that, you know, if a student or a teacher tests positive in a school, um, the people who are in close contact with that person may end up returning to the school the next day even though under the city's rules, they would normally be required to quarantine just because it takes the situation room a little bit of extra time to process that case. Um, And we know from public health experts and others that quarantining really quickly is important, um, especially with the more contagious Delta variant. So my reporting found that um, the reduced hours have caused some problems at some schools in terms of making sure that quarantines happen quickly. And I've also just heard from some school leaders and others, um, union officials, who have said that it's been just tricky to get the situation room on the phone in some cases, that there's just such a high volume of calls and communications happening um, that it can be sort of tricky to, to get a quick decision from them. And who is most concerned about this cutback in hours, which, as you say, seems kind of counterintuitive given the Delta variant, given that we have not seen, obviously, uh, have not been able to see widespread vaccination among kids who are under 12 years old. Uh, You know, who is most concerned about this? Who's talking about this? Yeah, so I I also just want to note that one reason they have reduced the hours is because they're also trying to avoid a situation where the situation room is making decisions about classroom closures or quarantines really late at night. Um, The city knows that, you know, the vast majority of students in New York City public schools come from low-income families, and it can be really hard to line up childcare 
or figure out, you know, how to manage a, a situation where a student has to stay home on really short notice, especially if that's coming in at like midnight. So that's that's one reason they have cut back the hours that I think is worth noting. But I do think that there are lots of um, educators and, and other folks who work in schools and, and the unions who represent them who are really concerned about the possibility that those quarantines aren't happening as quickly as they could be, um, just because in, in many cases it's actually really clear what the rules should be. You know, if a staff member tests positive in an elementary school classroom, that whole classroom should be sent home. Um, and so if that, if that process of quarantining doesn't happen super quickly, um, there's an additional risk of exposure there. Um, so I think there are a lot of different stakeholders who are understandably a little bit worried about that. Um, I think there are teachers who are. I've, I've spoken with some teachers in schools where this has happened and have raised concerns about the you know, timing of the quarantine process. I think the principals union is really worried about this because they want their principals to be able to just like make a decision if they're having trouble um, getting a clear ruling out of the situation room. And I think like parents and students also have a really understandable stake in this too, because um, you know any delay in quarantine decision can can pose a risk to them as well. Alex, it's great to have you on the show today. And if you're just tuning in, uh, you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM. Uh, I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're talking with Alex Zimmerman of Chalkbeat, New York. One of the other issues that continues to go on right now, I mean, new developments today, in fact, is regarding... Uh, the challenges to ma- vaccine mandates. A uh, number of teachers have expressed concern. They're continuing to go to court. Can you give our listeners a sense of what some of their arguments are and where this stands now, Alex? Yeah, so um, there have been some educators and, and even um, a, a constellation of unions, municipal unions in the city that have tried to challenge um, the city's vaccine mandate, which was originally supposed to go into effect um, this past Monday, but uh, in various courts have issued injunctions that have essentially resulted in a delay. Um, you know, part of the arguments that, that these two groups are making um, are that the vaccine mandate is essentially like an infringement on their, you know, bodily autonomy and personal liberty, and that there wasn't due process in, in the, involved in the decision to um, issue the mandate. We've seen slightly different arguments in different court settings about um, sort of what the ration, what the legal rationale is, but I think it's also worth noting that both the state court case, which was uh, brought by municipal labor unions, and this federal court case, which is um, sort of winding its way through, um, both of those have had a pretty chilly reception from the courts, um, although both state and federal courts have issued temporary injunctions on the mandate. Those have both now been lifted in a way that should clear the vaccine mandate um, to go forward unless, as you point out, there is um, some sort of last-minute intervention from the Supreme Court. And where we stand right now, Alex, and please correct me if I'm wrong, one of the articles I read indicated that it's supposed to take effect here in New York City tomorrow. Is that still accurate? So, yeah, so... The deadline for teachers to get vaccinated is the end of the day tomorrow, and it's actually not just teachers, it's any staff member in a school, which includes um, school safety agents um, who are technically police department employees, but also work in school buildings. 
Um, and so, yeah, they have until the end of the day um, tomorrow to get vaccinated, which me- which essentially means that it goes into effect on Monday morning, which would be the next regular school day. And Alex, I think there have been some references in this to the uh, court papers that that I've read, and I'm sure that you are much more up on this than I am. But, you know, maybe for people who are listening, you know, what happens to somebody who says, you know what, for whatever reason, I'm not getting vaccinated. You know, do your worst to me. What happens to that person? Yeah, so it depends on what their reason is. So there um, is a process now. Uh, for for school staff to get medical or religious accommodations. Um, We haven't seen an overwhelming number of those granted, but um, if a a staff member has a legitimate medical reason, they can get a non-school placement and continue to get paid and continue to work um, for the education department, but just not inside of a school building. Um, if you if you sort of decide that you don't want to get vaccinated for other reasons that are you know personal or philosophical or, or something else, um, then what the city has said is that you will be placed on an unpaid leave. Um, though some of your benefits will stay, like you will be able to continue on health insurance, um, but you won't you won't receive your regular paycheck, and um, so you'll essentially be on on unpaid leave. Um, the city has said that, you know, for anyone who changes their mind, um, they can, you know, decide to get a vaccine dose and that and, and will be reinstated in their jobs. But, yeah, for, for now, um, the consequence for, for not getting a vaccine without any uh, legitimate reason, at least legitimate as far as the city is concerned, is um, unpaid leave. Um, and we've also seen, you know... Uh, so far, vaccine numbers tick up a little bit as the vaccine deadline approaches. Um, I think we're close to 90% of all um, DOE employees vaccinated at this point. Um, we've seen higher numbers among certain groups and, and lower numbers among other groups. So, like, principals are closer to, like, 97% vaccinated. Um, but, you know, we're, we're also likely to see some really uneven um consequences of this just based on the fact that staff you know there, there may be pockets of in places or, or in specific schools where more staff are unvaccinated than others we're talking about covid vaccination and new york city schools with alex zimmerman he's a reporter for chalkbeat new york alex wanted to ask you about uh something else you've written about recently which is what's going on in regards to covid in charter schools versus you know sort of the the regular public schools what are we seeing there and and what's uh what's developing there yeah so i'd say the story in charter schools is actually pretty similar to the story in district schools the reason i was interested in writing about charters was because in many cases, they have been open for longer than district schools. Um, for example, Success Academy, New York City's largest charter network, has been open since early August. So we just, you know, there's a, there's, they've been open a little bit longer. We can get like a little bit more insight into how things have been playing out. And what we sort of learned in the run-up to the school year starting was that charter schools were experiencing a fair number of classroom quarantines and closures. Um, you know, I, I think it's still a little bit early to say, like, how the, the extent of coronavirus infections in schools and really how well the mitigation efforts are working right now. Um, I think we'll probably need a little bit more time and a little bit more rigorous analysis to figure that out. But what I was able to demonstrate in my reporting was that in some 
schools that have been open for a while, they've seen a, a fair number of classroom closures. So at Success, for example, this is a little bit out of date at this point, but back when I reported that story, they had seen, um, I think, about 20% of their of their classrooms close um, just in the first few weeks of school, um, which can obviously be really disruptive to students. Um, I think it's also just worth pointing out, though, that the quarantine rules have actually been shifting um, in ways that apply to both charter schools and district schools. So at the elementary school level now, um, if, if a student tests positive in a room, it used to be the case earlier in the school year that the whole room would have to quarantine, so everyone would have to be sent home. Um, and now we're seeing um, like a little bit of a loosening of that rule so that you know, if students were properly masked and at least three feet apart, that only those who are really feeling symptomatic would then have to go home. So I think one one thing that the city probably took away from the situation in the charter sector was that if they had kept the, the more rigid and more conservative quarantine rules in place, they were going to be dealing with a lot of classroom closures. And in fact, in the first, you know, it's September 30th and, and we've already had more than a uh, 2,000 partial or full classroom closures in, in district schools. So uh, we've definitely seen um, a fair number of disruptions uh, in terms of classroom closures. And just to give your listeners some, some context there, there, there are about 65,000 total classrooms. So about 2,000 out of 65,000 have seen some sort of partial or full quarantine. So what's been so interesting, Alex, is I work with uh, several parents in my day job, and they've just talked to me about the the frustration they have every day and the worry they have every day, every day because they don't know what tomorrow will bring. They don't know what's going to happen with their kids. You know, we've heard I've heard from them and others as well. They've all seemed to be blaming Mayor De Blasio. I mean, we had Celeste and I had Randy Weingarten from the AFT on here a few weeks ago, and she was very blunt. She called the mayor a jerk and she said frankly i don't know what the hell he's doing what do you hear from parents right now are they directing most of their ire at the mayor yeah i mean i think it's i i think it's really understandably frustrating for parents to not know whether their child will be able to go to school the next day or the next week and and to what extent there could be disruptions i i and i also have for, for certain heard frustrations about the changing guidelines but i think i think it's a tough position to be the mayor of New York City in charge of the schools right now because um, you're a little bit stuck no matter what decision you make. And um, I think we saw the city sort of try out this very conservative threshold at the beginning of the school year, which resulted in a lot of classroom closures in a pretty short amount of time. Um, and then we saw them loosen that rule. And that was, I think, an effort to balance some of the criticisms they've been getting that that you know, the, the classroom closures have been too disruptive, but also that that the quarantining of whole classrooms with a single positive case was actually a more conservative framework than what the CDC itself had been recommending that school districts do. Um, so I think they are trying to find a balance here. And I also think it's, you know, understandably frustrating for parents when, you know, the rules of the game shift. But I, but I also think it's worth noting that there are also educators and families who get worried when they when they loosen rules like that you know there are some people who will argue that while the quarantines are really disruptive and and can be really frustrating that they you know also serve a, a public health purpose and i think there's like a reasonable debate to be had about where to draw that line um 
But I think what we're seeing is like the mayor sort of trying to figure out exactly exactly where to draw that line in a way that maximizes the number of days students spend in person, but that also doesn't sacrifice um, like the public health imperative to keep people who are potentially exposed at home. We are going to be having here on the program in just a little bit a talk with State Senator Robert Jackson uh, of Manhattan, of Washington Heights. Uh, he is part of a bill that's moving through the state Senate right now, talking about uh, creating a remote option or sort of a remote option threshold in the you know largest school systems, namely, of course, in New York City. You know, we, we've talked about remote option here on the program. What are you hearing about that lately? Is there sort of was that was that sort of a relatively small vocal minority of people who were asking for there to be a remote option? Or is it bigger than that? Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to get like a truly universal sense of what every parent in a system this large thinks about any given thing. Um, But I will say that we saw last school year, the vast majority of families opted for fully remote learning, right? So, you know, 60% or so of families did not uh, send their kids to school at all last year. So I think it's fair to say that like there was a pretty strong appetite for remote instruction. Um, I think some of that has tapered a little bit, especially with, you know, the availability of vaccines and the the prospect of younger students being able to be vaccinated on the horizon. Um, but yeah, I do think there's still a pretty strong contingent of parents who believe that there should be a remote option and that um, the city was wrong to, to not offer that this year. Um, I think it's worth noting that uh, inserting a remote option at this point creates some big logistical questions that um, I think are, would be really hard to resolve. Like last year, um, the availability of remote learning basically meant that there had to be some sort of hybrid schooling. So even folks who wanted to be in person were only being offered a few days a week of in-person learning. And because, you know, teachers kind of can't be in two places at once or it's very difficult to be in two places at once if you're trying to like live stream your lessons, um, it just makes it really difficult to have a remote option that doesn't also have consequences for the kids who want to be in person. So Alex, we've only got about a minute left and I do want our listeners to know where they could find out more about you and your work. But as you, as you tell us that as well, I'm also curious about just what else you're going to be looking at. What else should we be paying attention to in our final minute with you? Yeah. I mean, I will be really interested in seeing, you know, there's a, um, there are obviously a lot of questions about how the city's health and safety procedures will hold up and, um, you know, whether we'll get a clear sense of, of how well they are protecting students and teachers. And, um, you know, I, I think the city is really optimistic that its health and safety rules are going to be strong. I think another thing that I am really interested in understanding is what instruction looks like um, this year, you know, what, what kinds of work that educators are doing um, to try to meet the needs of students who have had a really disrupted school year last year and we'll still see some disruptions this year. And I'm also just really interested in hearing from people about what their experience of quarantine instruction looks like. What is, you know, what, when students are sent home in quarantine, like what, what their connections to school really looks like. I think we're still sort of trying to figure that out. Um, and lastly, we'll just say that if you're interested in reading more about those kinds of issues, um, feel free to check out ny.chalkbeat.org. Um, where we 
we read about this stuff every day. And of course, follow you on Twitter at AG Zimmerman for our listeners, because this is where they can get the scoop as it happens. Alex Zimmerman, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz, Marston, and myself, Jeff Simmons, here on WBAI this afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. You've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York. Again, I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined as always every Thursday by Celeste Katz, Marston. Celeste, any thoughts on what Alex was talking about? Yeah, I thought that was a fascinating conversation, and I'm really glad that we were able to bring Alex in. You know, he's somebody who's been directly in touch, not only with administrators and union officials and so on, but actually talking to teachers and, you know, parents and, and uh, people who are really living through or trying to live through this experience. It's very complicated. COVID has been incredibly hard on the school system. If you think about what kids had to go through just to, to get basic education and what they've gone through in terms of missing that social interaction uh, with their friends, with their peers, you know, with their teachers. You know, there's a big difference between learning uh, through a screen. I mean, we can all think about, you know, how much screen time we have spent during the last uh, year and a half now um, versus what our lives like were before that. And, you know, I'm just really glad that we we're able to have somebody like Alex or our next guest coming up, Senator, uh, State Senator Robert Jackson. Uh, obviously, Jeff, this is is a good time to remind everybody that we can only have these kinds of critical conversations about COVID, about education, about New York City, because of the support of our listeners. So please just take a few moments today to go to WBAI.org and give as generously as you can to keep Free Speech Radio alive here in New York City. That's WBAI.org. And Jeff, I know you happen to be uh, one of those very special people, a BAI buddy. Just tell people for a second, what, what is that all about? Well, as a BAI buddy, and, and I encourage you to look this up on their website at WBAI.org, but as a BAI buddy, I give a sustaining contribution. I basically, it goes right into my credit card. I think I give about maybe $20 a month, maybe a little more right now, but because I know that the station really needs and really counts on your support. And if you're listening to this show or any show on WBAI, whether it is Black Seinfeld or Golden Age of Radio or Max Politics on Wednesdays, I mean, we have something for everyone. And of course, you must make sure that you listen to Morning Ursay and also Soul Central Station and from the soundboard hosted by the one, the only Reggie Johnson, our engineer right now on Driving Forces. But if any of these shows mean something to you, if they've been part of your life for however long you've listened to WBAI, take a few moments and just go online to WBAI.org and become a BAI buddy. And by the way, if you give $25 or more, you become a member of the station. That means you can participate in important votes that the, that'll determine the future of our independent free speech radio in the greatest city in the world. So please go ahead, take a few moments and donate to WBAI. And also remember, your gift is tax deductible. We're getting to that point in the year, the last few months of the year, when I know a number of people who this is when we donate or we get or we do it close to Giving Tuesday. We also want to you know do this because we're going to be able to deduct it from our taxes. So go on to the WBAI website at WBAI.org, become a BAI buddy, or if you only have a little and you can give a little, make a one-time contribution, Definitely do that. We we can use all the help uh, that you can provide. So thank you so much for doing that. 
Absolutely. And uh, as Jeff said, your donation of $25 or more makes you a member of this station. And you can participate in important voice uh, votes that determine the future of independent free speech radio here in the greatest city in the world. Please go to WBAI.org today. Just click Ways to Donate. WBAI.org. And our next guest is with us now. He's got a lot of experience shaping education policy here in New York. I'm talking about New York State Senator Robert Jackson. He first held public office as school board president, where he launched the Campaign for Fiscal Equity school funding lawsuit. He walked 150 miles to Albany, hopefully wearing some comfortable shoes, to bring attention to the issue, which ended in a judgment awarding $16 billion to the city's public schools. And before his election to the Senate, Robert Jackson served a dozen years on the New York City Council, including as chair of the Education Committee. He and his family have lived in Washington Heights since 1975, and he is a proud product of the New York City public school system. Senator Jackson, welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI. I think maybe we're having a little bit of a connectivity issue. Might have to check in. Senator Jackson, you are on the line with us today. I don't know, Reggie. I, our, our engineer, Reggie. I think Reggie they dropped out. I'll try again. Up, oh, try again. Okay. So, anyway, I thought that. Uh, Senator Jackson would be a very interesting person to have here on the program today, Jeff. I'm sure that you have uh, some thoughts on this as well. Oh, yeah. No, and I have to say that I had encountered uh, the then councilman for a number of years, very, very savvy on education issues. Uh, you know, it's funny because as I was reading our reading up on him today, I'm so glad you had mentioned about that walk to Albany because that was that got considerable press. It brought a lot of attention. But by the way, as we're having these conversations today, Celeste, mm-hmm. I'm thinking back to when I first came to New York City. And I covered education back then for the New York Post and the Daily News and New York One. And so much of what I reported on was about severe overcrowding across the city when kids were housed in trailers to be able to learn. And so when this pandemic hit, a lot of that crossed my mind about, you know, the the maximum number of kids that can be in a classroom and how do you space them out and how do you make this happen? You know, how do you make this happen right now? You know, whether it has to be a mix of in-person or remote learning. I mean, there are so many complications to this. So, you know, I'm glad that Alex Zimmerman talked about this. I mean, people would love to just blame the mayor for everything, but it cannot be easy to make these decisions, Celeste. Yeah, no, absolutely not. These are these are really difficult decisions. And I am somebody who also covered uh, education, uh, not uh, for very long, but it was uh, it was kind of during a period where I went from covering politics to education back to politics. I think it was less than a year, but I learned a lot. This, of course, is back at the Daily News, another one of your uh, alma maters, Jeff, and really eye opening to see what goes into running a school system this complicated and this massive, just really astonishing to see how many moving parts there are uh, in terms of uh, staffing and in terms of labor relations, in terms of arguments about curriculum, lots of different things. And obviously, uh, Senator, State Senator Robert Jackson is somebody who knows a lot about these things. I believe we have him on the line right now, Jeff. Yes, we do. So, Senator, welcome back. Sorry about that tech complication before. Do we have you on the line? 
Yes, you do. I'm on my way back from Albany, and I pulled over just to talk to you. Okay, thank you so much. Tell us a little about what you have been hearing from your district, your constituents, about how how going back to in-person schooling is working out. Well, as you know, uh, everyone is nervous about what's going on, uh, especially because of the virus and 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 children all over the country being hospitalized, and unfortunately, several of them are dying. Uh, obviously, in my district, uh, my staff and I, we've been receiving information in person. Uh, we put out a bilingual school year COVID concern form for students and parents and educators and other staff to highlight their concerns about, you know, going back to school. So everyone is absolutely nervous because they've been out the entire year. But also knowing that the Department of Education basically is saying that everyone has to come into uh, in-person learning. We're not even given the option of, uh, of remote learning. And so we've reports of crowded hallways. I mean, this young fellow in high school showed me his cell phone where people are all crowded in the hallway and no social distancing. As far as the cafeteria, the same thing. And so obviously there's concerns. And then you know uh, under the foundation aid uh, there's a contract for excellence. And a contract for excellence calls for uh, small class sizes and Quite frankly, that's not happening uh, up to 37 students in noncompliance with class size requirements. So uh, that's what we're hearing. Uh, also, when uh, the mayor is saying that, you know, we, I, we expect everyone to come back, and if you don't come back, uh, you know, we may be contacting uh, ACS, the uh, Agency for Child Services, that, you know, you're being negligent and, and what have you. That's just intimidation. And we don't need intimidation. What we need is transparency in the entire process. And we need to be able for parents to understand that there's options out there. And especially if you have children with uh, uh, special needs, that's always an option there rather than going straight into the classroom. So that's what we're hearing overall. Obviously, uh, parents all over New York City are very concerned. And you should know that even I heard on the news just uh, yesterday, that over a thousand classrooms, a thousand, uh, either fully closed or partially closed as a result of, you know, uh, COVID-19. And you may have heard over a week ago, uh, one entire school in East Harlem closed down because, uh, as reported, the staff all had COVID, about 15, 17 staff members had uh, uh, contracted COVID-19. So, and as you know, the, the mayors initially said, oh, we're going to test every two weeks. Well, wait a minute. Last year, we tested every week uh, uh, with parents that have given permission uh, for their children to be tested. Okay? Now, it's back to a week now because UFT and other parents, activists saying every, every other week is just too long to be testing uh, the children uh, in schools. It should be every week. And then not only that, but it's only 10% of the parents that agreed to be, have their children tested. So if you only have, if you have 500 kids in the school and only 50 parents have agreed, so 10% of 50 is what? Five. I'm just giving that as an example. So those are the issues and concerns that we're hearing. 
So, Senator Jackson, thanks for joining us here on Driving Forces. Really appreciate it. I know from uh, many years ago, I've been following your work uh, and talking to you about uh, your work uh, when you were in the city council uh, as head of the uh, education committee. Um, wanted to ask you today about uh, some legislation that you are advancing along with your colleague from Queens, Senator John Liu, uh, about a remote option for, for New York City. Tell us a little bit about what's in that bill and what do you think is going to happen there? Well, the, the bill basically calls for you know, allowing people that have issues and concerns uh, to have a remote option. And any public school located in New York City, uh, in New York State, with a population of a million or more, so anytime you have legislation with that type of language, any school with uh, a city with a million or more population, uh, they shall provide a remote learning option to all primary and secondary school students. And that's what the language calls for. So in essence, you're really talking about New York City because no other city in the state of New York has more than a million students. So, But that's what it is, to put pressure on the system, on the mayor, and on the chancellor to do the right thing. And for those parents that are their children are not attending school because they're concerned about their health and their welfare, uh, that they should be given a remote option. You had it last year. So I believe there's no replacement, obviously, for in-person learning. But the issue and concerns that people are raising is very, very important overall. And we should be listening to what people have to say. And remote options should be there. And, in fact, today we had a hearing uh, on uh, the, how the, the foundation aid, meaning the money, that's $1.4 billion over the next three years, every, you know, for $4.2 billion. Foundation aid, how is that being used by the schools in the state of New York? And how is the federal money being used? And I asked the question of the, uh, the commissioner for the state education department about uh, remote options. And she said that from a statewide point of view, remote option is available. That's up to the lead uh, educational agencies, and obviously in New York City, uh, that's the Department of Education, and obviously you're really talking about the mayor, because the mayor is the one who's appointed and controls everything. So you've been listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined by my co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston, and we're talking with New York State Senator Robert Jackson. Senator, do you believe there should be different standards uh, when it comes to uh, comes to learning right now in in this environment amid COVID, there should be different standards based on grade levels, elementary, middle, high school, including uh, or until COVID vaccines are fully approved for kids under age twelve. Well, I would say yes. When you when you look at our little ones, our little kids are in kindergarten, first, second, third grade. Obviously, we have to take care of them more so than the the teenagers, because, you know, they depend on uh, the adults in the room. Whereas intermediate school and high school, they're a little older, a little more mature. They know the rules as far as masking up. They know the rules as far as, you know, washing their hands and sanitizing. Those are the things that uh, basically that we all have to do. But obviously, when you're talking about little kids in elementary school, that's a big difference there. And also, you know, the, the bigger uh, uh, high school students, they know, and they are the ones that are responsible for us, you know, teaching the little kids how 
things go in the classroom. And so we have to be <clears throat> open to meeting the students and families where they are. And so where they are is some and understanding that we're still coping with the health crisis. And even, as you know, um, that is what we're concerned about. It's the spread of this COVID-19, and that's why, um, you know, the CDC and it basically says now uh, people that are 65 and over with, uh, obviously, with underlying conditions can get a booster shot. My wife got a booster shot uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm waiting to get mine, but mine is Moderna, so uh, I, that's what I'm doing. But when it comes to children, the children under 12 right now, they have no protection. Uh, and the vaccine vaccinations approval process by FDA is in the depth of science tasked by experts that, that cannot be rushed. We can't rush that process and say, okay, uh, you have uh, only examined 50 or 100 people. Let's, let's go with it. So until uh, it's approved, we must look after and take care for our children. And that's what really this is about. Uh, obviously, so- I have two grandkids myself. They're 11 and 8, uh, and they're in school, not in New York City, uh, but they mask, they sanitize, uh, and uh, if, in fact, um, when my grandson turns 12 in December, I know my daughter uh, will probably have him vaccinated. And why do I say that? Because she's a doctor, and she's encouraging everyone to get vaccinated because in the long run, it's better for you to protect you if, in fact, you get sick. And Senator, on on that note, in the little time that we have left, did just want to ask you about what's going on in the courts right now. Uh, as as you probably heard, there was uh, uh, some of, some of the teachers have brought their case to the Supreme Court, uh, trying to stop the institution of this vaccine mandate. I know there are people on both sides of the issue. What do you think about the legal fight on the part of some people, at least, to prevent the city from instituting a vaccine mandate? Well, you know, we live in the United States of America, and that is part of the democratic process for people to file court actions one way or the other. And and it's unfortunate that we're here uh, in this situation, but that's their right to file a legal action. In fact, there was a temporary restraining order, uh, which uh, I guess the appellate division overturned that, and now uh, the, the appellants... Uh, going to file an action uh, with the the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court, and that's their right to do. And so, no one can deny you the right to appeal in court. Um, but, but the mayor should have addressed this way, way, way before school opening. Uh, and, and then the deadline, I think, uh, was is tomorrow. Isn't that the deadline is tomorrow? Is that correct? Yes. So people have to decide what they want to do. And hopefully uh, people will make the best decision for themselves. But I say get vaccinated. In fact, as you know, LeBron James, um, uh, an NBA player, he basically said he did his research, um, that he's thinking about uh, his family and his friends and everyone else. And so he decided to get vaccinated. People have to do their research and hopefully make the decision that's best for them. And if, in fact, uh, they say, yes, I'm getting vaccinated. There's so many places to get vaccinated, so many. If they make a decision, no, they're not, uh, then uh, whatever action occurs, they are responsible for their decision-making.
And Senator Robert Jackson, where can people find out more about you and your work on COVID, on schools, and everything else? Well, they can go to uh, my website, uh, which is jackson uh, at nysenate.gov. That's the website. Uh, We have a a form um, uh, where the form that I said earlier where the school year 21-22 school year COVID concern form uh, is on there. Or they can call my office at 212-544-0173 and sign up for my newsletter. Uh, Also, we have an email update every week. Uh, They can ask and put in their uh, the email address to say, hey, put me on your email update every week so I can read what's going on, not only about with the COVID-19 situation, uh, but with all of the things that we're doing in our district. The District 31, if you're not aware, runs from Marble Hill, Inwood, Washington Heights, West Harlem, uh, Upper West Side, Midtown, and I go down to Chelsea. Uh, that's 13 miles of Manhattan, basically hovering the West Side. Well, great. Well, State Senator Robert Jackson, thank you so much for joining us here on WBAI today. Really appreciate, uh, really appreciate you. Well, thank you, and uh, I'm heading back to New York now. Okay, drive safely. Thank you. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. Our topic today, of course, COVID, schools, and vaccination. We just heard from State Senator Robert Jackson of Manhattan on this topic. And a little bit earlier, we heard from Alex Zimmerman, who covers education for Chalkbeat New York. Coming up, of course, going to hear from the most important voices here on the program. Of course, that means we're taking your calls to one. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. What do you think about the situation with coronavirus in schools? Is the city doing enough to protect kids, teachers, staff? Do you want a remote option for your kids or for yourself if you work in the schools? Or do you think everybody needs to be back in the classroom? 212-209-2877 is the number here at WBAI. We'll be right back to take your calls after a few words from these gentlemen from Queens.
And that was, of course, the Ramones, in case you missed it, with Rock and Roll High School, WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, here with my host, a co-host, Jeff Simmons. We're taking your calls, 212-209-2877. And we've got some callers on the line. We know we've only got about five minutes left, so let's get to them right now. First caller, welcome to WBAI's Driving Forces. What's your name and what is on your mind? Hi, you're on WBAI. How are you, sir? I just wanted to say it's really interesting that you have these large corporations that are pushing opening days up or opening days back for their employees, yet they want all of these children to go to school. If kids could go to school, the employees should be in the office as well. That's just you know, my opinion. I don't understand why adults can have the luxury of staying home and working remotely, yet kids have to go into school. And we all know that kids don't usually follow the rules, especially younger kids who take off their masks and things of that nature. So that's just basically what I wanted to say. Okay, thanks very much. Appreciate your call. It's a, it's an interesting question, you know, the idea of, and we should do a, a show on this actually, Jeff, you know, the sort of idea of going back to work, who needs to work in person, who doesn't, you know, who has that option and who doesn't have that option, uh, is, is a very big deal. And those lines are not clear cut. Those could have a lot to do with who you are, what kind of work you do. Some people don't have the ability to, to do that. We're going to go to our next call. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hi there. Hey, well, I'll, Hi, are you on the air or do we have our guest or a listener? I'm on the air. Yeah, I'm on the air, am I? Yes, you yes, are. go ahead. Okay, well, I know you're not pleased to hear from me. Hey, there's a great show on BA called Talk Out of School by Leonie Hameson. She had a woman talking about how this educational tech has been a fetish for decades. They're just using this as an opportunity to push his remote learning, and everyone should listen to that program. One thing I want to ask you, too, there's implicit bias in your show. Jeff, Celeste, why do you have two people saying the same thing. You started up the show saying this is an infringement of people's liberties. You didn't mention that there's no showing of efficacy of this so-called vaccine. It's a leaky vax. Natural immunity is 20 Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to interrupt here actually. I'm going to interrupt here. First of all, we didn't say that. Secondly, we welcome all kinds of uh, guests on this program. Obviously, we welcome all kinds of listener views on this program. What we're not going to do, I see Jeff is uh Jeff is getting interested in, in adding something here but uh, you know what I'm just going to come out and say this as far now, I know that people have concerns about the vaccine I know this country uh, you know groups of people have uh, uh, reason to be concerned about uh, government vaccination uh, advertised and sort of unadvertised but generally we can say that the data shows that the da- the vaccine is effective and safe. This is after uh, lots and lots of review, peer review of these studies of people, uh, you know, of this pandemic becoming a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So I really do want to make that uh, very clear, at least on my part, Jeff. 
And all I'm going to add to that, Russell, is I also try to listen to Leone's show as much as possible. I Even when I was a reporter, she was someone I was always in touch with. I think she's fantastic. I'm so glad she's on WBAI. So I am glad that you're listening to that show as well. I just also want to repeat something that Robert Jackson had said uh, that was important, that people have to do their research and hopefully make the decision that's best for them. So we do try to bring a variety of voices here. The first person on our show today was also a journalist, and that's why we wanted to get his perspective from the coverage he's been doing. So thank you for giving us a call. We know we only have one more caller we want to squeeze in before we end the show. Reggie, if that person's still on, let's bring that final. Uh, That person's not on anymore. So Celeste, we only have about a minute or two left. Uh, Anything, any other sentiments you want to express? Well, uh, well, one of them is, you know, genuinely, we really do want to hear from a variety of different people. And uh, I can't, I personally, I cannot get entirely worked up about what one person says or the other person says. Some people, uh, you know, I'm glad that the program generates interest, generates calls. Wish we always had time to take more calls, but we do try to bring you a variety of guests. Uh, one of the things we like to do is typically we, we often like to have a report or somebody covering the issue, you know, to sort of set the scene. And then we have somebody who maybe is working on legislation or is working in advocacy or somebody who's been impacted by the system or what's been going on. So we do try to present those views. But uh, speaking of which, Jeff, you have another program on the station, City Watch. What do you guys have coming up on Sunday? Well, this Sunday, David Brand will be hosting. It is at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. He's going to be joined by Joanne Page, president and CEO of the Fortune Society, to discuss stable housing for people leaving Rikers Island. I'm glad he's doing this, Les, because yeah. you know Rikers Island was a really good show that we did last week. It is an issue that keeps coming up. We're going to have to revisit it. He also is going to talk to Dr. Eric Sanderson, who's a senior conservation ecologist with the Wildlife Conservation Society, whose recent New York Times op-ed describes New York City's history of development atop streams, ponds, and marshlands. This is going to be a fantastic show, and I encourage you to tune in. Absolutely. And this is always a good time to just give you one more reminder here as we wrap up your contribution to help keep free speech radio alive here on WBAI is tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today. That's WBAI.org. I want to thank today's very special guests, uh, reporter Alex Zimmerman of Chalkbeat, New York, and New York State Senator Robert Jackson of Manhattan. Thanks, of course, uh, to our engineer, Reggie, who saves us from ourselves every week here and special special thanks to you our listeners if you missed any part of today's program you can hear it in full by subscribing to driving forces via apple podcasts soundcloud or wherever you get your favorite shows and you can check the archive section of wbai.org i'm celeste katz marston here with jeff simmons this is driving forces we'll be back with you soon coming up stay tuned to wbai for the evening news see you on the radio